You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back to Deep Dives with Sharks, my fellow Sharkiras. My name is Alex. I am the host here in case it is your first time visiting or just in case you might have forgotten. First, I want to thank you all for participating in the poll on Instagram once again. And for those of you who did suggest a shark in the little comment box that I put up as well, I'm going to try to get to those in the next coming weeks. And if you did send a suggestion, please also shoot me a DM on Instagram letting me know if you want me to say your name or not. Because I know some people want to be private and anonymous and other people, they want that credit. So if you do want that, just let me know. If not, also let me know or don't and I probably won't shout you out. But. Of course, if you do want to participate in any of the polls or send a suggestion, anything there, best way to do that is going to be through the social media, which once again on Instagram is at Deep Dives with Sharks or on Twitter at Deep Dive Sharks. So you can also search the name on there and it should pop up. Same logo. But we're going to get right into the shark for this week, which is going to be the epaulette shark. Now, every week I do say that the shark is pretty cool. This week, it's actually really cool, so a little bit of a step up. We're going to go on a cool rating eventually, but there are uh, these are another species of carpet shark, which means that they spend their time on the ocean floor or among coral reefs, so similar to the zebra shark that we went over. They're typically found in the warm, shallow waters, especially around Australia and New Guinea, although the wiki also mentioned that they're possibly elsewhere, as this is a fairly newer research shark. And I say research because it was initially discovered in 1788, which is not very recent. But it was placed into its current family, which was the carpet shark, in 2002, which is much more recent. Now, it also was recently examined further during Shark Week this past year, where real shark experts, so not posers like me, although with the amount of research I'm doing, I'm, I'm getting close, they were able to look at the walking pattern that these sharks do in order to hunt, which... Yes, these sharks do walk, and I will go a little bit more into that a little bit later. But first, I have to tell you about their physical aspects, because that's the typical route that I take. Now, these sharks are rather small. They usually measure about less than a meter or 3.3 feet long. So I also saw it's about 24 to 32 inches, I believe, somewhere in there. Uh, But for those of us that don't use the metric system, it's 3.3 feet. Uh, And like the rest of the world, we are... Just a little bit different for no reason. But they aren't very wide either. The epaulette tends to be more on the slender side, and it also has a very short head. Now, its pectoral fins are rather high on its body, so they're right behind the head, and they're also right behind the gills. So it tends to be, uh, usually the pectoral fin is going to be around the dorsal fin, so a little bit in front of or behind. Uh, so that way usually helps with either agility or balance, but these ones, it's going to help with that walking, as I mentioned earlier. Their tail fin is also about half the length of their body and rather long, so most of that two feet of shark is going to be its tail. Very similar to how the thresher, most of its body is its tail, well, about half of it. This one is similar, except for it doesn't use its tail quite as much. They also have pelvic fins that are similar in size to the pectoral fins, which will help them with walking. And they reside in waters typically less than 15 meters deep or 160 feet. 
They're typically tan in color. I'm saying typically a lot. We're going to try to break that here. They're tan in color with black spots along their body and white around their fins, which helps to camouflage in with the coral reefs that they live among, especially in the Great Barrier Reef. They have evolved to have a false eye or a large black spot on either side of their body above and slightly back from their pectoral fins. Now this helps in case a predator tries to attack them so it won't hit their head and as much, most fish will aim for the head because, you know, that's where the brain lives and if you hit the brain, you get the food. But this also helps protect their gills because it's going to be behind that as well. So that way they also need them to breathe underwater so the gills aren't in danger either. So their brain and their gills both get to survive. So that way they're not losing that because as most of us know, if we don't have our brain or lungs, we don't go very far in life. But now is the moment that some of you have probably been waiting for. It's going to be time to talk about the walking, which I've talked about a little bit. Could have probably teased it a little bit more, but here we are. So these sharks will hunt during low tide on coral reefs uh, when puddles form in the shallows. This will use their pectoral fins and their pelvic fins to crawl out of the water by swinging themselves from side to side. So kind of arching like where our hips would be. They do that, but they use their fins to crawl. They're able to crawl from puddle to puddle, eating small crabs and other crustaceans, as well as worms and small bony fish. If they're unable to get to another puddle, or if the oxygen in the pool drops too low, they'll begin to shut down their organs one by one, which allows more blood to go to the brain and heart, which will keep them alive, so they can survive long periods of hypoxia, which is a little fancy word that I know how to say. But in these studies, they were able to survive without oxygen from anywhere from one to three hours, so when the tide starts to come back in, they'll be able to get more oxygen and be going again. They also eat very differently than other sharks do as well. They usually shovel sand out of the way with their nose, and they'll eat the prey laying beneath it, while pushing any sand through their gill slits as well, so that way they don't eat the sand, because it doesn't seem very tasty. Its teeth can also be flattened to help crack through shells. They can spend about 5-10 to 10 minutes chewing on their prey, while other sharks typically will eat their prey, or a chunk of it at least, in about a minute or two. So these guys will kind of grind away, especially when eating crustaceans. You need to have a flatter surface to get more pressure, which can help to crack their, almost said skull. They don't have skulls. They have shells. They need to crack through that shell, so that way they can use that pressure to do that. Now, these guys also have about 26 to 35 rows of teeth in their upper jaw and 21 to 32 in the lower jaw. As mentioned, they will be decompressed or flattened, the teeth that is, to make a flat surface to help crack open those shells. These sharks are a species that have to deal with parasites known as, I'm probably going to mess this up, <laughs> the praniza. Sounds about right. They often attach near the cloaca and feed on the shark's blood, but also will usually attach around the mouth or gills as well. Now, this tends to not affect the shark, thankfully, as they don't suffer any adverse effects because of this. Meanwhile, other sharks, like the Greenland shark, have parasites on their eyes, which causes them to be blind, but at least that's what I've heard. I haven't done the Greenland shark yet. That's another one I keep throwing in polls, but one day we'll do it. But yes, they have parasites on their eyes. Um, also, shout out to my friend Luke uh, for having a clip of me doing a weird voice on his stream, uh, giving that fact. But anyway, these sharks uh, also typically breed from July to December in the wild, but they will continuously breed in captivity under the right conditions. Females typically will initiate by biting the males, which sounds kind of mean. That just sounds rather annoying. 
but they do have a high birth rate. They can drop two to four eggs every two weeks, which is crazy fast, especially for sharks because many will take at least six weeks, if not longer. They also become sexually mature around seven years old. There have been many human interactions with this shark, which usually means many bites and fatalities. But since this shark is rather small and has an even smaller mouth, people tend to survive if they get nipped by these guys, which is usually how their bites are described as more of a nip. Typically, people will pick these sharks up and they'll bite them. Uh, not the people biting the sharks. The sharks will bite the people, just to clarify. As that came out, it sounded weird. But the shark, as it gets picked up, won't like it and it'll bite them. And people tend to drop them at that point. But usually it just kind of creates a little bit of bleeding, doesn't really cause any loss of limb, anything like that. And usually the shark is the one that gets hurt. So I'll advocate for these guys real quick. See them on the beach. You can totally observe them. If you really, really, really want to touch them, I mean, just give them a little poke. They might bite you if you're going to touch them. So just be prepared to deal with that. And I mean, sometimes it's play dumb games, win dumb prizes. But I guarantee if I'm in that situation, I too would want to poke it. But just try to observe it without touching it. And you won't get bit. Kind of easy. But they are listed as least concerned. Because of their small size, there's not really a commercial market for them. Although they have been called the perfect shark for a home aquarium. But I will preach this until the day I die. Do not get a shark for your house. They're a lot of work and they will eat your fish friends. And it can disturb the ecosystem if we over hunt these to have them as pets. It's kind of like the whole exotic pet trade. Just It's not a really good thing to support. But this is what I have for the epaulette shark this week. They're easily one of my favorite sharks. I was really excited when they won the poll, and this is what I had on them. So, of course, if you guys have anything else to add or any other questions, give me a shout on the social medias, and I will be very happy to hear that out. But going on to the shark safety portion of our podcast today, we're still doing the understanding shark behavior, but as it is this time of year, so it's going to be in the northern hemisphere in America where I live, it's going to start to be spring, so this is when sharks are going to start to migrate up the coast. So we're going to be looking at migration patterns this week. Now, every year around this time, they're going to be migrating from the tropics up the coast of the United States and into Canada and Mexico as well as the weather gets warmer and the water becomes more suitable for them once again. This also typically lines up with spring break when thousands of people flock to the beaches, especially in Florida and California, where many hammerheads will be in Florida and Great Whites will be out in California, and they'll be moving up the coast, and typically every year, someone gets bit. But I'm not about to tell you not to go to the beach during spring break. It's nice, it's warm, it's beautiful, and it's highly unlikely that you're going to get bit by a shark. But it is more of a call to be aware, so that way you won't be the unfortunate one out of the thousands or hundreds of thousands that are going to be going to the beach in the upcoming months. There are a few reasons that sharks do migrate. The four main ones are going to be feeding, mating, seasonal temperature changes, and to give birth. Whale sharks, for example, travel to the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico every spring and summer to feed on the abundance of food due to fish mating. Hammerheads, white sharks, threshers, makos, tigers, bull, and others are going to be swimming up the coast of the U.S., Mexico, and Canada due to the weather changing. The lemon shark will be traveling to mangroves in... Um, I believe it's out in like New Zealand and Australia. I need to do the lemon shark episode too. So that'll be coming up in the poll soon as well. But they go to mangroves to give birth to their pups. They can hide among the roots. And the Carolina hammerhead will travel to, travel to bays in the Carolinas to breed and pup as well. So the largest migration occurs while these temperatures change. 
So the range that a shark can move and survive moves from the southern hemisphere to the northern or vice versa. So knowing when your seasons change can also tell you when these sharks will be in the area and when they'll be on the move. Now this time of year there's usually about, I believe the saying was 400 plus hammerheads could be moving a day up the coast. Now that sounds like a lot. But also that's not all at once. Uh, so that's going to be throughout the entire 24-hour period. So breaking that up, you're not just going to see a blanket of sharks going up the coast. So just be careful. So you're not going to have them all going there. Although that would be sort of neat and kind of wild to see. But really, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, with this, if you're traveling to California or Florida, uh, just keep an eye out. Because you will see them going there Uh might see a shark or two and of course as i always say that does not mean you have to leave the beach and scream and freak out sharks just there to be a shark it's usually going up the coast just to see it's it just get its food getting its nice natural habitat now every year uh there's unfortunately a child that gets bit because they're there on spring break and people either don't realize that there's sharks in the area already or they think it's going to be a little bit too chilly for them but they don't realize that sharks hang out in most waters year round uh, there are warm-blooded sharks that can stay in the area. So even here in Maryland, when it's cold, we do still have sharks off the coast of Ocean City. There's still sharks in Maine. Uh, there's new uh, sharks up in New Brunswick in Canada, uh, Nova Scotia, everywhere like that. So, I mean, the Greenland shark, for example, as I mentioned earlier, gets its name because it lives up near Greenland. So that's a cold area to be. So there are sharks that can survive in the colder waters. So just because you think, oh, it's cold, like if I jump in the water here, I'm going to be fine. Like still make sure you're being vigilant because the shark might be hunting close to shore and then you might be jumping into an oncoming wave that has a shark in it. So just make sure you're watching out. If you see dorsal fins, don't always assume it's a dolphin because it might not be. Um, but just something to be aware of. And definitely if you're going to be going to any of those states that I mentioned or anywhere warm, possibly in Mexico as well or Elsewhere, I usually just go with what's nearby me, but if you're going anywhere like that for a spring break or just on a trip, make sure that you know what sharks will be in the area. Do a little bit of research beforehand, even if that includes listening to this podcast. We'll give you a little bit of information on that, but we don't really have the exact geographic location, and of course, there are apps you can use as well that will help you know what type of sharks are pinging in certain areas. Definitely look those up, but I will talk a little bit about them in the next segment. So that was a little PSA that I had for this week. Of course, any shark safety tips that you'd like to hear about or any shark safety questions that you have, please feel free to send them my way as well, and I am more than happy to go over them. But lastly, we are going to be going on to shark news. This week, I did actually a pretty good job of staying on topic of the things that I talked about earlier. So the two news stories that I have fit this bill pretty nicely, but First one that I have is titled, A Shark Party is Happening Off the Outer Banks. Here's a rundown of who's there, and this is by the Virginian Pilot. Now, in the past month, nine sharks have pinged off the coast of the Carolinas, as reported initially by Osearch. Now, this is one of the apps that I mentioned earlier, or at least that I, I didn't mention it by name, but I just talked about that said that you can see where a shark pings. Um quick shout out to a shark named pico who is not pinged in a couple years that was a mako shark that was tagged not too far from maryland and i hope he's doing well 
He might be. We don't know. But it also lets you see different white sharks. Uh, they've tagged tigers, uh, Galapagos sharks. And it shows you where they are. There's also some turtles. Uh, I believe there's a whale or two that they've tagged. And then you can see all those there. I believe they're also working on tagging gators eventually. But they're mostly focusing on getting the sharks for right now. Because they want to tag, I believe, 100 sharks in the area. But uh, they gave a rundown of the sharks that were in the area. And their names are Jekyll, Brenton, Frosty, Martha, Crystal, Andromache, Simon, and Gladi. They're all white sharks that have pinged in March. Now, these guys have gone up and down the coast of America, at least the East Coast, um, for a while now. I've actually been tracking some of these guys myself on that app, and you can see when they ping. They also sometimes Z-ping, which means that it can't give them an exact location, but they are still active and they are still out there. Now, the reason why the sharks are in that area is because they tend to stop in that area around this time during their migration. So they're usually heading to Maine or Nova Scotia, Canada later in the summer, but they have a nice abundance of food going on in the area at the time. So they'll stop there now just so that way they can get their food in and then also have the energy to continue to move up the coast. But as I mentioned, as that weather gets warmer, you'll see more sharks getting in the Maryland area, the Pennsylvania, New York, and so on and so forth. Till you get all the way up to Canada, in which case there'll still be lots of sharks up there as well, especially up in Maine and in Nova Scotia. That's where they have the seal colonies, I believe. At least I know Maine. I'm not entirely positive for Canada. If someone in Canada is listening and I'm wrong, please correct me. And then we'll do it in correction corner. There we go. But they're going to be eating the seals there eventually. So making sure that, of course, if you see seals hanging out, anything like that, don't go trying to swim with them because there's a good chance that a shark might be hunting them. So just be careful. Observe from a distance. Or if you are in the water with one, just be careful because sometimes it happens. But this also shows you that sharks are going to be moving very soon. So once again, if they aren't already in your area, they might be soon. So just be careful. Unless you live in the middle of a country, then they might not be too close to you. But the next news story that I have. Now, this title kind of irritates me. It's called Colorado Boy Attacked by a Shark on Cancun Spring Break Vacation. We got a double. So this year we've already had someone get bit. Oh, sorry. This was also reported by Fox News. We already had a uh, 10-year-old boy get bit by a shark, which is unfortunate. But also I hate the phrase shark attack because attack, as I mentioned before in previous episodes, does involve malice. And this shark did not get up this morning and go, you know what? This 10-year-old boy from Colorado has had it too good for too long. Time for him to get bit. So, not really an attack, more of a bite. Now, mind you, the boy who I'm not naming just to protect his privacy was in knee-deep water when a wave came up, and the shark was in that wave and it bit his leg. Now, it did cause a lot of damage. It severed tendons, broke a couple bones, and tore his meniscus. So, this is not in any extent a minor injury. This is actually quite major, and he did have to be airlifted back to the U.S., uh, I believe back to Colorado, so that way he could get the proper treatment after spending a couple days in a hospital in Mexico. Now, the child underwent successful surgeries and now just faces physical therapy, so thankfully everything went fine. I mean, it's very unfortunate that this did happen, but I am very glad to hear that he's going to be okay. He's going to be able to walk, everything like that. Whenever I, I very much want to make the stance, I hate the term shark attack, but I don't want people to get bit by a shark and be like, look, they got bit, not attacked. Like, no, that's still a very unfortunate thing. I'm not rooting for sharks over here to go bite everyone. That's a 
really bad thought because one of my friends also thought I was going to run into the ocean to go pet a shark. Dear God, no, I'd like to keep my limbs. But <laughs> sharks do have a lot of power, so that is something to be noted that sometimes these bites, if done by the right shark, can cause a lot of damage. So making sure that you're being aware and knowing what sharks are in the area because, I mean, 10-year-olds aren't that tall. So knee-deep water isn't that deep either. They can get in pretty shallow. So making sure you're being careful, being vigilant, and knowing what's in the area is going to be very important. Now, this is also why I mentioned that safety portion because we want to make sure you're going to be safe out there. Now, there is a GoFundMe to help pay for the medical bills uh, because, you know, the American healthcare system, it's great. But that's a whole nother conversation to have anyway. But of course, if you guys would like to donate to the fund at all, all I have to search up is Dylan vs. Shark GoFundMe and you'll find their link in order to donate. Um, I did, I still need to donate myself, so I'm going to do that right after this. But it is a nice thing that you can do. That's the only little name I'll give there. Uh, and of course, if you want to read more about it, everything's on there as well. So I will 100% uh, be donating a little bit myself. And if you'd like to, follow up with that as well. You are more than welcome to. But this is what I have for that episode, and I'd like to thank you all for listening once again. This one was a little bit quicker. Um, I have been very busy recently uh, transitioning from school and doing an internship and starting a new job again because that's just what I do. So I'm all over the place once again. I'm very sorry about that, but I am going to be trying to get back into the swing of things and getting these out every two weeks. I appreciate you all listening. Uh, follow along on the social medias, as I mentioned earlier. If you'd like to participate in any of the polls that will be coming out, uh, send any comments, any questions, any concerns, anything like that as well. I do very much appreciate all of you listening. And give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and share it with anyone that you think would very much enjoy listening to this as well. I'll see you guys in the next one.